0: If you're a doctor opposed to euthanasia or a nurse with qualms about abortion, should you have the right to opt out of such procedures, even if they're entrenched in law? Australian ethicist Dr Xavier Simons wades into these and many thorny similar questions in his new book, Why Conscience Matters.
1: I think that doctors will often deem a particular practice to be not conducive to the proper goals or ends of healthcare. So they may think that a particular procedure which they deem to be harming a patient doesn't realise the goal of health or healing that they take to be central to medicine. Mm. Of course, there are fairly straightforward religious reasons why a medical professional may have a conscientious objection and those are probably well known to the public, such as a Catholic doctor who won't perform abortions or a Christian doctor who doesn't want to participate in the provision of euthanasia. Or it could even be um, fairly idiosyncratic, unusual objection. There may be a doctor who objects to the provision of certain medications that were developed using testing on animals. There's different circumstances in which conscientious objection can take place, but I think the key factor is typically a moral or a religious conviction that what one is being asked to do is something that's morally or religiously objectionable.
0: Where is the line, though, between genuine conscientious objection and a procedure that a doctor might simply find uncomfortable or discomforting? Because you do raise this in the book.
1: I think that the line should be drawn When we are looking at a procedure to which a doctor has a genuine moral or religious objection or a procedure to which a doctor simply doesn't want to participate in because they don't like it, that makes them feel squeamish or because it takes up too much time or because it doesn't fit within their particular professional plans. Those are two very different categories of objection. And in fact, the idea of a doctor just objecting to a procedure because they find it distasteful is not exactly something I consider to be part of the concept of conscientious objection.
0: Yeah, we're going to discuss some of those in a minute, but you make many interesting points. One of the most interesting, though, is the nature of a doctor's role. Is she an agent of the state or of the free market? First of all, in many Western developed and democratic countries, as you know, with national health care, isn't a doctor nowadays simply an agent of the state?
1: There are definitely some bioethicists and doctors who would claim that doctors are no more than mere apparatchiks of the state. But I think that is going a bit far. I think that it's true to say that they are participating within a public system, for example, public healthcare in Australia and the Medicare system or the NHS in the United Kingdom. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're equivalent to a public servant. In fact, I think we could draw clear distinctions between, say, fairly repetitive and pro forma tasks that certain people within the public service may have to perform. And the case of a doctor dealing with a very complex medical situation, which requires not only keen clinical judgment, but also the consideration of a range of moral issues. We might think, for example, of an ICU doctor deciding whether a patient should cease treatment, have life support withdrawn, whether some experimental treatment or other should be pursued. And I think those are two very different cases. And that draws out the distinction between a doctor understood as a professional and a doctor understood as a mere public servant.
0: What's a potential problem, Xavier, of a doctor being simply seen as an agent of the state? Because historically, it could have some very dark undertones.
1: That's correct. And I've written on this topic at length to try and defend the practice of conscientious objection. Unfortunately, It's a fact, a historical fact that medicine has got it wrong and got it wrong in very serious and shockingly consequential ways over the course of history. So, for example, the institutional racism that was part and parcel of medical care in the United States for the 19th and early 20th centuries or the eugenics movement also particularly most shockingly manifested in the American healthcare system. I think when we look at those examples of state-sanctioned, state-backed abuses in medicine, we start to see a bit of a problem with a very simple, uniform approach to thinking about the role of a doctor and the way in which a doctor should approach moral issues, when instead we take into account not only the state role that healthcare performs, but also the need for doctors to be morally discerning themselves and not mere apparatchiks of the state, then we start to see a bit more the role of conscience in medicine and how it can complement rather than necessarily conflict with professional standards and law.
0: Yeah. And what's the problem with doctors being agents of the free market? Because again, in some places like the United States, doctors are businessmen. So what is the conscience problem if a doctor is merely a a servant of the market?
1: It's pretty easy to see what can go wrong when a doctor's simply following the dollars and not their better judgment. When we simply think of doctors as agents of the market, then we end up with a situation in which doctors are performing procedures that patients can pay for simply because they can pay for them and not necessarily because they're needed. And in fact, where doctors come to be conceived of as wish-fulfillment clinicians rather than having a therapeutic as opposed to enhancement role. I mean, to give a very striking example, we can think of plastic surgery and not just reconstructive plastic surgery, but plastic surgery for cosmetic and aesthetic reasons. Unfortunately, as we've seen in Australia and elsewhere, that particular subspecialty has been prone to particularly egregious abuses and harms towards patients as a result of doctors, I think, thinking of themselves as pure agents of the market rather than having certain responsibilities to patients that go beyond the mere economic transaction that takes place between doctors and patients.
0: Now, you've raised there the strong objections, as you say, to doctors as agents of the state or the market. A more complex question that you deal with in the book is this idea that doctors have a fiduciary role. We often think of fiduciary merely in connection with money, but a fiduciary role for a doctor is what? Essentially,
1: we're talking about the need for a doctor to feel that they have a responsibility towards their patient to pursue the patient's good, that that's something that goes beyond the mere economic or legal connection between patient and doctor and, in fact, relates to a moral responsibility that doctors have. The doctors need to be an advocate for patients, for example, within the healthcare system. And I think that's important because, in the end, in large complex health environments, healthcare environments, we start to see how it's easy for the needs of individual patients to be missed unless there's someone there advocating for them. And I think that's part of the fiduciary responsibility that a doctor has towards their patient. In addition, it's simply the case that a doctor needs to be someone who a patient can trust. And unless a doctor has in the back of their mind that I need to win the trust of this patient and be a trustworthy, agent within the healthcare system for this patient. Then, unfortunately, what we start to see is that patients lose trust not only in their doctors, but also in the healthcare system generally. And sadly, we live in a society where trusted institutions is at an all-time low thankfully that's not the case with medicine yet but i fear it could become the case if we lose sight of the fiduciary role of doctors in the healthcare system
0: this is the religion and ethics Report. andrew west with you i'm speaking with dr xavier simons he's a medical ethicist we're discussing xavier's new book why conscience matters a defense of conscientious objection in Healthcare." well let's get to the kind of really knotty part here Xavier, why do you think there needs to be specific exemptions for doctors and conscientious objection? Uh, Because I think you say that there's something about the character formation of the doctor that's as important as her treatment. That's correct. And this is
1: a more controversial aspect of my book. I wouldn't go so far as to say We have a situation where there's a trade off between character formation of doctors and the provision of good treatment and care and appropriate care for patients. I actually like to see it as a complementary situation where the formation of doctors that takes place where doctors have due discretionary space to pursue what they take to be the medical good will lead to better care for patients. And that's why I think that paradoxically, A right to conscientious objection actually will lead to patients getting the treatments that they need ultimately in the long run. Unfortunately, we're entering a situation where there are many people within the healthcare system and within bioethics generally who would argue that doctors should not be able to exercise moral judgment by the bedside or in the operating theatre or in any other medical context, but rather there should be professional standards that are followed with a kind of blind adherence rather than a moral reflection and critical engagement.
0: There is this challenge, though, and you identify it in the book, and I acknowledge it's almost certain never to happen. But what if every doctor raised a conscientious objection to a particular procedure? That particular procedure, which might be medically necessary, might never get done.
1: That's true. But I think when people raise this objection They are really confusing the question of conscientious objection with broader questions about how we should legislate for change within medicine and what should be done once a controversial medical procedure has been legalised. Who is responsible for making it happen, for ushering in a new medical regime? The reality is if the state would like to do something that ultimately cuts against the grain and ultimately is contrary to the opinion of a medical majority, then the state needs to be prepared to create a situation in which patients can access the kind of care that's been legalized, even though a majority of doctors may have a moral objection to it. And the example I think of is euthanasia. In Victoria, the the Victorian state government, after legalizing euthanasia, took it upon itself and also the um, Department of Health Services in Victoria to make euthanasia readily available for patients across the state, and they designed a system whereby that could happen without conflicting with the majority of clinicians' view that euthanasia is not something that medicine should be providing. That is really a good test case or a good example of how this issue should be resolved rather than forcing doctors to perform procedures to which they have not only genuine objection, but a reasonable objection, an objection that's actually quite widely held within the profession.
0: I mean, here's an interesting philosophical point, though, and I know you're a philosopher as well. Doesn't the notion of conscientious objection rely on the knowledge that someone else will do what the objector considers the dirty work?
1: It's possible. I mean, it's also possible that The situation may be that a patient may not receive access to that particular medical procedure. But what I argue is that if it's the case that that medical procedure doesn't fall within the bounds of what we might consider basic medical care, so the kind of care that's curative, that's therapeutic, if in fact that procedure falls more within the bounds of what we might consider a social dimension of healthcare, which is interventions that are more designed for complex life situations that people might find themselves in, but that traditionally haven't fallen within the bounds of basic medical care. If that's the situation and no doctor's prepared to provide that particular procedure, should we be actually rethinking the way we think about that procedure and considering it to be part of healthcare? I mean, if there are so many practitioners who don't want to do something, Well, then maybe that is actually cause for us as the general public and healthcare policymakers to reflect on whether we've got it wrong, whether we have in fact got it wrong on that particular issue or other. And that's why I say that conscientious objection should not be conceived of as a sanction for idiosyncratic medical practice, but rather precisely to draw upon the language of conscience. It's like a prick to the conscience of society that leads us to think twice about the way we do things in healthcare.
0: Yeah, look, just finally, I I mean, obviously, there's a couple of examples that I can think of and, and the listeners will be thinking of. Basically, if you don't believe in blood transfusions and if you don't believe in an abortion, if it's necessary to save the life of the mother, I mean, could you really be a doctor? Extreme cases, but they may well come up.
1: In my book, I outline a series of criteria of reasonableness that I think should govern conscientious objection. I'm not a proponent of an unbridled right to conscientious objection. I do think the conscientious objection should be regulated and there should be clear standards as to when someone has a right to conscientiously object. And at the very least, I think the conscientious objectors need to be open and upfront and transparent about the procedures that they are and are not willing to perform. That's the way we avoid those sorts of situations where, for example, people can't get access to blood transfusions. Admittedly, that's not a example that I could find anywhere in the literature. I know that there are patients who might have that objection. I didn't come across any doctors, but it may be the case. And then also in the case of a doctor who might not be willing to... An abortion to save the life of the mother. I think that the doctor should be open about that so that the hospital that they're working for or the healthcare network that they're part of is aware that they have a conscientious objector who's not able to perform that procedure and appropriate alternative arrangements should be made. It's more a question of making sure that there's clear and frank and open conversations that take place well before the fact in the context of these healthcare dilemmas such that. We can have a situation where doctors are allowed to act based on their conscience, but also where patients can receive care that the state deems to be medically appropriate.
0: Dr Xavier Simmons, author of Why Conscience Matters, A Defence of Conscientious Objection in Healthcare. Thanks to Mudita Dias and Simon Branthwaite. I'm Andrew West. Join us again for the Religion and Ethics Report.